It's no surprise that updating the electricity grid today will make for a better tomorrow. Increased self-sufficiency is just one of the benefits. The Great Grid upgrade will also boost the economy and create new green jobs. And best of all, you can continue doing the things you love, like watching the latest epic nature documentary or listening to this podcast while caring for the planet too. Find out more at nationalgrid.com. This episode is brought to you by Accenture. A better you starts with better hydration. Accenture is on a mission to inspire people to do what matters most. Their proprietary ionization process transforms water from any source into ionized alkaline water, providing water that's 99.9% pure with a pH of 9.5 or higher. Essentia Overachieving H2O, the number one ionized alkaline water. Shop now. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one McCrispie, so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. This episode is brought to you by Smart Food Popcorn. Some decisions aren't the best, like skipping ahead in your favorite podcast. Think of all the banter you'll miss, the lore in the making. Luckily, Smart Food Popcorn is a no-brainer. Deliciously tasty and available in a variety of fun flavors. It's a smart decision every time. Smart food. Add smart. To learn more, visit smartfood.com. You're listening to the podcast, the Nature and Countryside podcast from BBC Country Farmer magazine. I'm Fergus Collins. And in this episode, we're in Armagh in Northern Ireland on a quest to find St. Patrick patron saint of Ireland. Now, St. Patrick lived in the 5th century, but his incredible story has helped shape Ireland's history since then. But why was he drawn to this area? I set out on a new pilgrimage route called St. Patrick's Way to find out more, beginning at the mysterious ancient site of Owain Waka, known today as Navan Fort. It was a powerful spiritual centre in pre-Christian Ireland. So why did Patrick come here? We'll begin with Damien Hulun telling me about the ancient gods and goddesses of Celtic Ireland. So Awan Waka means the twins of Maka, okay? So Maka was a Celtic goddess, mm-hmm. okay? This site is named after her, uh, and it means twins of Maka. It's Gaelic? It is Gaelic, yes, yeah. so it is. Um, so, as I mentioned, Maka uh, was, a, was a Celtic goddess, and this site is named after her. Armagh City is named after her as well. Ardwaka, which means um, Maka's height. So she she was obviously a very important character, or deity, or goddess, and the people obviously had a great affinity to her, so much so they named this site and the city after her. So really, this is a it's a place of great significance. Um, we have a number of of historical sites of great archaeological significance. Uh, the jewel in the crown being Navan Fort itself, um, but we also have a body of myth and legend that's associated to the site, and the stories are known as the Ulster Cycle of Tales. So, in those stories, you have a number of different characters um, who, who have great sort of have great appeal and have uh, appealed to people through, you know, nearly two thousand years, millennium. So, uh, the images that you see above you here are characters in the cycle, the stories. Okay, 
Beautiful. So these are beautiful. What's the medium here? Is it sort of watercolour? Is the original? Yeah, watercolours. Yeah. So we've got sort of heroes, and heroes and legends, warriors. And beautiful. Kind of, yeah. Uh, so the, the stories are set in the Iron Age period, mm-hmm. um, at a time when there was five provinces in Ireland. Today there's four, and the Irish word for province is Cúga, which means one fifth. That's interesting. Okay, so, so which is the missing province these days? We've, um, we've got Ulster, Munster, Leinster, and Connacht. So the, the middle province, the forgotten province, is, was Meath. Oh, okay. Yeah, yes. and okay. in legend, that's where the High King of Ireland would have lived. Um, so, uh, and you know, coincidentally, each of the provinces seemed to have their own characteristics. You know, with the characteristics of, of Ulster being war and battle. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. And we're surrounded by images of yeah. Oh. The mounds of war. This one's particularly. So one yeah. Post battlefield. Post. Yeah, that's right. So in the Ulster cycle, there's numerous stories, but the epicenter of the story is known as the Tombo Coolia, which means the cattle rail of cooling. And essentially, the stories are set in a in a time when the, the province of Connacht wanted to invade the province of Ulster to steal the brown bull of Cooley which was in legend the most fertile, biggest, strongest bull in Ireland. Um, and the, the, the Connacht army was led by this lady that we're looking at here, Queen Maeve. Okay, yeah. so we will, have heard, we will have heard of these characters. Yeah, for sure. Other characters in the stories would be Cúhollan or Satanta, as he was known as a boy, King Conor MacNessa, who was the king of Ulster. The warriors of Ulster were known as the Creve Rua, so in the legend they lived here. Creve Rua mean, meaning the red branch. So these are Iron Age warriors, so with spears. Spears, shields, shields yeah. Um, and, but, you know, like, we would kind of think upon them as kind of like the Spartans, you know, that they were like a, a paid army that, you know, took great pride in their battle skills. And so so Gaelic culture is similar to Celtic culture? So... Um, based upon the language, there's two strands of Celtic language that's in existence today. Um, you would have the Gaelic Celtic language, which is spoken in Ireland and in uh, the Isle of Man, and also in Scotland. Yes. Um, and then the other form of Celtic language is the Britonic language, which was spoken uh, to well Cornish language the Breton language in France and also Welsh. Welsh, okay. Yeah. Um, so that, that's your two strands. But this is the heart of it, then, you say? Well, yeah, we would, it would be, yeah. It would be, yeah. like, you know, um, for sure. Like, the, I suppose there is a uniqueness, the fact that we have archaeology and mythology here, you know, as an epicentre for that. We would kind of compare ourselves to Troy in many ways, you know. Oh, really? Okay, Yeah, that's so, yeah... You, it's a really significant sort of at the cusp of where mythology becomes history. Yeah, and f- for us, what makes the link so important is the landscape. So the stories and the characters are embedded in the landscape. And as we go along our walk, like I'll be able to show you today where Creevy Row is. And Creevy Row comes from with the word Creevy Row. So there's a suggestion that's where the Creevy Row lived on that particular field. That was their kind of... Uh, yeah, headquarters. Yeah. So across the landscape here, you know, uh, you know, a, a lot of our townlands have meaning, you know, um, and the meaning would refer to the myth and the place. So we've talked a lot about the the myth and the, some of the characters and the stories. Uh, so 
Those stories were actually first written by Christian monks, written down by Christian monks in the 11th century. Um, oh, interesting. So they were writing down pagan myths. Yeah. Why did they do that? Was it well, in their interest to... Well, uh, there's a past? lovely text in the book, book of Leinster where the, the, you know, the monk who is scribing this, you know, the stories, at the end of it, he, he, he says in... In, in Irish, you know, if if you pass these stories on as as I've you know written them down, you'll receive a, a kind of a blessing. And then in Latin, he writes, "If you believe these stories, you're basically mad in the head." You know, <laughs> right. yeah, yeah. but well, let's be mad in the head. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. Well, look, we're getting, so we're going towards the. This is a this is an Iron Age hut. Then. This, is, this a, is an Iron Age dwelling, and we're about to meet two Iron Age fantastic characters. Fantastic. Hello. You have travelled far to visit us today. I have. I've come across sea, through, and, and I've used I've used the flying birds. To this get is here. the best news we've had today. You've crossed the sea. I have. Did you bring anything to trade with me? Uh, what I have in my bag is um, mm, some electronic equipment. No, I need salt. <laughs> salt. Yeah. Oh, right. That's so. So you've nothing to trade with me. If I pop back to the cafeteria, I can get you some. Pop back where? <laughs> to the cafe, uh, to the um, salt cellar. Yeah. Oh right. <laughs> okay. Well, you are welcome. I'm being, I'm being held at the gate. You're being age. held at the gate, but you are salt. most welcome. Oh, thank but you. But this means that I do not have to show you any hospitality. Oh. You understand this? I'm a bit worried by the gleam in your eye. I'm not giving you anything to eat or to drink. Except I will allow you to go to the river and wash, if you wish. So had I brought salt, though? Well, all I can tell you is I have a long, long memory, and I never forget a face. (laughs) So, you're most welcome. Would you like to come? Yes, indeed. Please do follow us in, and we'll get out of the way. So you've got a spear, you've both got spears and shields. Yes, indeed, yes, indeed. Uh, We here in Ulster will be particularly well known for being uh, uh, warriors by trade. You see, it is said that of the five kingdoms on the island, we as Ulster folk uh, put more emphasis on the arts of battle and warfare than the others. that's the Ulster sort of speciality. Yes, indeed, yes, indeed. So we're inside the... um, how would, you, how would you describe this? It's quite dark, but we've got a fire lit in the centre. Yes, indeed. Well, this is a roundhouse made of woven hazelwood, and it is two circular walls uh, filled with straw in between. Filled with okay, straw so in between. These look like hazel hurdles that you might see in the modern age exactly around a, around a exactly yeah. hazel itself is fairly long lasting uh, the walls will stand for a good uh, 14 to 15 seasons and then you must rebuild the thatch on the ceiling is actually river reed uh, as opposed to straw river reed you see is already waterproof so the rainwater slides off it and how long does it take to build a dwelling like this with enough hands, seven days. Seven days. Not seven bad, days. It might take a month to gather everything you need, but the construction is very fast. Essentially, if you imagine a wicker basket turned upside down and yeah. enlarged, it's exactly the same That's construction. Like. Yeah, yes, great. indeed. The children are the ones who do uh, the weaving for the ceiling. 
because they don't fall as far if they fall off. <laughs> <laughs> and they bounce better. Yes, indeed. Yes, indeed. Yes. Have indeed. you ever seen such a grand house? It's magnificent. I would happily live here. You it, would it happily live snug. here. The the only the only thing about that is that you would have to um, be happy to share the communal bed. Right, how many people would I have to share with? Oh, well, now Fergal's brother lives in this house, this dwelling. And he has um, his wife, four children, his mother and father, her mother and father. Oh, that's not so good. And perhaps anyone who was visiting at that time. So... So you all snug together in one Oh, bed. yes, yes. For warmth or just because you're friendly? Well, a bit of both, actually, yeah. yeah. But the, the men would actually sleep, the women would sleep at the back. Right, okay. The children in the middle. And, of course, our warriors will sleep on the outside to protect us all. Is this a typical, because it looks about the size of a rowing boat, a, a relatively small rowing boat. Is this the size of, that everybody would be expected to... Well, for that reason, yes, yeah. you know, it, it, and sometimes they could have been bigger if there were more in the family. But traditionally, this would have been quite a large dwelling. Okay. Uh, because Finn is the head of our clan, mm-hmm. and he would, um, he likes to show his wealth off. You can see this great fire that he has built, and of course, it's such wood, a waste. Burning wood, like like. No well, it's not that. It's it's the iron. Oh. Think of the swords we could have made with that, the spearheads, all of that. But he likes to show this off. Show off his iron. Well, uh, cattle is our wealth. Cattle. Yes. Do, have you any cattle? Not not many these days. Oh, you're poor then. I've got, very, I've got a very small one. Oh, have a barks, small one. The barks. Um, uh, well, I mean, you you must be poor, really, (laughs) are you? You don't don't be ashamed to admit that. I didn't have any salt, I didn't have any cattle. Oh, I know, and and I have a good memory, as I told you. (laughs) I will not forget you. (laughs) But you, you, um, uh, if you look up, can you see how black our roof is? That's the smoke going up there. That would be from the smoke, but it had its uses. It did have its uses. Because in the winter months, we would have um, all these strings and the poles here. They would have hung the cheese, the fish, uh, the meat on it. And of course, the smoke would have preserved it for our winter. Delicious smoke. So they were very, very clever people. And the other thing, of course, to preserve them, they used the salt. Which... Which you didn't bring. Slightly lacking. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yes. What about? Does it get very smoky in here? Though? Oh yes. As you can see, the upright posts. Oh. So the families tended to sit upon the skins, on the floor. Underneath the smoke. Underneath the yes. smoke. You see, on a good day, the smoke level would tend to start about four feet above the ground, yeah. uh, and as the weather gets worse, the smoke level will drop. Uh, today the rain is upon us and it is quite cool so the smoke level you can see may come down as far as one foot off the ground uh, but that's not as big a hindrance as you might think as most of your day-to-day life is done outside how long do you say it would last a dwelling like this uh, a dwelling like this will stand for a good 14 to 15 16 maybe at a stretch uh years and uh, our dwelling has uh, stood the test of time and by 
it's coming to the end of its natural life, I would say, but it'll hopefully see us out at least in the summer. Uh, you must cut the hazel you see uh, just before the winter. So you cut your hazel and then you rebuild as quickly as you can. Now, you see, as I speak to you, everyone in the community, the clan as we would call it, has a certain role. Uh, the baker, the wood turner, the smith. So you had specialised. Yes, so there would, there would be a expert, a local expert, a communal expert to um, be able to interpret or essentially read nature and say this is when you have to do this, this is when you have to do that uh, and they would be the ones who would know about the tree. Now that knowledge wouldn't really be shared because if you suddenly tell someone how to do your trade you suddenly need yourself competition. So what trade you have tends to be held close to the chest and only shared with your apprentice. My skill, I am the baker of the clan. And the diplomat. And yes, that's me. And we, we would only share our skills with our immediate family. You, you don't want everyone being able to do what you can do. Yeah. And the, the skills are handed down through from the elder of the clan. As you can see, me, I am quite elderly with the white hair, but never forget, very knowledgeable. Why write anything down that, that other people can read if they're lucky enough to be able to read? So there would be a fear that people might steal your ideas. Steal your ideas. So what are your names? Is it Fergal? I am Fergal, which uh, translated means wise warrior. And I believe your own name is Fergus. Fergus, yeah. Uh, yeah. Much like my father, which means great warrior. Oh, excellent. Good, good. Well, I've got some skills. <laughs> and can I just ask what you're wearing, Fergal? You've got a, Yes, uh, indeed. A, I am a, wearing a, uh, uh, what I believe uh, closer to your home would be known as tartan or checked tunic. Checked in uh, green, white. Uh, there's a bit of orange, blue and grey in there and a single uh, shade of trouser. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so, uh, around that's typical, that's your standard. This is very typical. Now, uh, the multicoloured check uh, would indicate that I myself am fairly wealthy to, to be able to afford so many different colours in one piece of clothing. Uh, again, in society, tends to be the more colour someone wears, the wealthier they are as a person. They can afford dyes or they can afford exactly. that material. Exactly. You've got a, is this a drinking horn? Or a yes, indeed. This is a full drinking horn of the cattle. Now, these horns will be removed from the animal um, so that, uh, well, you can drink out of them and clear them out. They will also be worked into smaller drinking vessels. Mm. So if you imagine you take off the top three or so inches and soften the remainder horn so you can glue it on as a base you can also make a small drinking cup as well now the size of this uh really doesn't mean anything uh <laughs> mine is uh fairly uh that's quite a big quite <laughs> <laughs> yes and it <laughs> continually has to be filled really, yes the great thing yes, because we don't drink water we drink either ale or mead and even the children you don't drink water because it's where you wash? or Well, or because, yes, it is where we wash, but sure, who would be bothered if you can drink well, mead and ale? Well, that's a really good point. You know? <laughs> would you who bother? would be bothered, oh, yeah, you know? It's a waste of drinking. There's really no choice, is there? <laughs> you know, and, and as you can see, that is quite a large drinking horn, yes, so it does need to be topped yes. up very often. <laughs> and what is your name? My name is Aoife. Aoife, okay. Aoife. And you're the... 
the sort of matriarch of the clan. I I would be, but but our clans are we are equal in every way. They we had many many great women warriors in our in our time. So you would have held a sword or a spear. I would have been very proficient in the use of both, and even more proficient in the use of this. Uh, this is, oh my goodness, this great club. I wish I had brought you sword. <laughs> and a, I do know how to use it. <laughs> I was just going to step back, but I need to keep... This is a hurl, and it's a traditional game of these lands. So that is the, the, sti- the, the stick for hitting for a For playing or, a game. Yeah. It's like a hockey stick, but it's broader. Wash your mouth out a hockey stick. I have to describe for the This is a traditional Irish game played by men and women. In the women's case it is called Komogi. But although it was used for leisure this also was even more important as a weapon as it was because uh, as you can see, we have iron oh, on the so broad it's got iron part. Bands yes, okay. and of course, if you were supposed to be playing the game, well, it also was great because the person on this side of you, well, you could dig him in the ribs, <laughs> and then when his head went down, hit him across the head. And that's part of the game, or part well, of the that battle. is very much part of the is game. If you ever get the opportunity to see one, Mm. go to it and see it. (laughs) And what is is the wood that's made of? Is it ash? Ash. Ash Ash. Ash would be the traditional wood, strong with a bit of give. Get a stick, get a ball, beat the living daylights at everyone around you. And and the ball, does that matter at the end? (laughs) (laughs) Well, you want to win. To be good at hurling, you'd be... uh, There's a a goal, some sort of goal. A goal. Now, the goal could be anything. I normally send, set the goal about three miles away, gets the kids out of the house. <laughs> but uh, I believe uh, your guide here wishes to continue the journey. So thank, thank you very much for oh, joining well, thank us. Thank you for allowing me into your wonderful dwelling. And um, I shall not forget the salt next time. Do come back <laughs> yeah, and I'll see be, us I'll, once I'll again. Yeah, thank you very much. Thank you. And may, uh, may you have a very fruitful spring. Thank you. Bye-bye. So yeah, that's that's fantastic. So they are the living, uh, yeah, living characters, yeah. Uh, living history. Oh, we should warn me about the salt. <laughs> <laughs> that would have been so good. The surprise on her face because they definitely had salt in the yeah, ca- in the cafe. So Navin comes from Owen. Okay, so over time, Na- a- Owen Walker becomes an 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 Owen. Nowen, okay. becomes Navin with the introduction of the the English. Th- language as well right. so the whole the whole area is rich in, in mythology so it is um, like we we would refer to her as being one of the two of the Danon, so mm. Maka being one of the two of the Danon, which would have been possibly the gods and goddess the people of the Iron Age would have worshipped to make sense of the world and the, the two of the Danon are are characters from older mythological cycles known as the mythological cycle and they're, they're essentially uh, stories about um, invasions and how people's how, how people inhabited Ireland and the battles that ensued so from that old even for the Iron Age some of these yeah stories, so the those stories yeah would would have possibly been said maybe a thousand years or at a time thousand years before um, but again that is 
you know, that that's loose. And, and that is an interpretation that we would try and make sense of when we're speaking to our, you know, our visitors. So this is a novel fort itself. Yeah. Is, is what? Is it an, uh, like well, a, a typical hill fort? No, well, it's not a fort to start. Oh, right. So... Um, well, we could wander down. Yeah, we can wander down. Um, this is a sign. This is the start. Is this the start of yes, St Patrick's Way? It is. Well, yeah, which is the reason I'm here. But this is a this is a good place to start then. So this place has been a place of great significance for a long period of time, and we talked about the provinces. Um, so essentially, this would have been a political base, but also it would have been a religious or ritual centre for the people that lived in this area. But essentially when Patrick was in Ireland as a slave boy, he would have been very aware of, of Awan Waka. He would have been aware of its strategic and political importance, its religious importance as well. Um, he probably would have been told the stories of the gods and goddesses, Maka, um, Cúhollin, King Connor, Macnessa, you know. So whenever he returned to Ireland to establish his Christian church, Politically and strategically, this would have been a very, very good base for him to start up. Um, but in, in terms of a political base and establishing his Christian church, you know, like this would have been an ideal location for him to do to do that. Yeah, you know, yeah. if you could imagine, you know, if he was travelling the length and breadth of Ireland to say that, you know, I'm speaking the word of 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 God, and you know, uh, the the people at Owen Waka have. You know, yes, they've tucked me in. You know, so why yeah. can't you? Uh, yeah, yeah, strategically, yeah. those guys, those really, yeah, yeah. If, they're, if they're on board, why can't well, you be? Yeah, interesting. They think he came from Wales, yeah, and he he was a slave boy in Slemish, which is in County Antrim. Mm. Um, yeah, and then he returned. So Navan Fort is to our just just beside us here. Yeah, um, at the moment it's a, it's a. It's a mound that rises out of the landscape, so the, of course. So the mound is actually known as a drumlin, okay? And in County Armagh, County Darnham and County Monaghan, this would be locally known as the drumlin belt. So there's loads of drumlins. And they're a remnant from the last ice age, okay? So yeah. the best way to describe them is that they're like eggs in a basket. Okay. okay. So they're rounded mounds. That's rounded all, mounds. clustered together. Yeah. And when the first farmers arrived in Ireland, these would have been fantastic locations for them to establish. Oh, so it's a natu nat yeah. totally natural totally outcrop. Nat yeah. yeah. But a good place to establish a base. And yeah, because defensive they're position. defensive, they were high up, but also quite fertile as well. So on Navan Fort itself, there is um, evidence of Neolithic activity. Okay. Fast forward into time, and about one and a half kilometres this way here, we have a place known as Hawhees Fort. And Hawhees Fort is a Bronze Age settlement site, huge settlement site, um, with three sets of banks and ditches for defensive purposes. So that's a proper town, basically, or you know, what, what would, it, what yeah. would we, we would think of as a town, a town size, yeah. you know, several hundred people living there. Um, and beside that settlement site is a man-made pool known as the King Stables. And local legend was that's where King Conor MacNessa watered his horses, but archaeology would indicate that it was used for other purposes. So I mentioned there was a man-made pool yeah. built by the people we believe that lived at Hawhees Fort, dug out for um, ritual purposes. Oh, right, and really? within that, there the archaeologists discovered Not for drinking or washing evidence of 
ceremonial practice. So there is human remains in there was human the way remains. The you said ceremonial practice, yes. like there was a sort of yeah something darker. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, animal remains and human remains in that human sacrifice. Possibly, possibly. Fast forward in time to the late Bronze Age, and this site here, Navin's Fort, starts to become really, really important. Okay, for the people that lived in this area. Now this is all man-made. Okay. These ditches, yes. Ditches and banks. Yeah, yeah, okay. Man-made. Dug out approximately 95 BC by the people that lived in this area. With sort of primitive iron tools or iron tools, yeah. yeah. Okay. There's a lovely drift of wooden enemies up here. Just to give a sense of what time of year it is, wooden enemies and a few primroses. So there's there's life coming yeah. through even on a wet day. Right, so we're heading right into the interior. Could get windy up here. Send your shoe bill to Country Farm Magazine, <laughs> Bristol. <laughs> so, we're on top of the Drumlin and we're looking at what's known as Mound B, which is the larger of the two mounds on Navenfort. Mound B is very significant. Yeah, okay. You know, so we're looking at quite, the, a, quite a. I mean, how high is that from the base here? 20 feet? Would be, yeah, yeah, would be for sure. So, when the archaeologists arrived and they started to draw, draw back, they quite quickly discovered that there was something of great significance underneath the, the, the mound. Um, a large 40 meter temple, in fact, that existed underneath. Um, a series of post holes for posts to go in to create five, cent, five sets of concentric rings, all for different posts, you know, heights of posts yeah. um, for, for a roof to be pitched. Um, underneath the temple, or sorry, underneath the, the roof, we believe that there was the place current stones, Can large boulders to create a current build. But there's hundreds, if not thousands yeah. of them, but quite big stones. Those, yeah. yeah. So the process essentially was the put post holes in, put posts in, yeah. put stones in to create a kern, then they roofed it, then they had a, they used it for a period of time for ceremony. Yeah. Next, after the period of time it was used for ceremony, they burnt it to the ground. So the people that built the temple burnt the temple. They deliberately burnt it. Yeah. And then they covered it in soil to create the mound that so we're looking at in the distance here. And the height of the mound is 2.5 meters. So why would they have done that? We don't know. Okay. <laughs> we, we don't know. Um, I need answers. We, uh, yeah. we don't know. The, the yeah. Celts never wrote anything down. Okay. But they brought soil from other parts. Of yeah, yeah, other parts. Um, essentially, this was a. We we believe that this was a ritual center. This site was a ritual centre for the people that lived in, in Ulster and possibly Ireland, okay? Um, so, you know, the effort that would have been taken to build a temple of this size, you know, would have been huge and there would have taken a large, you know, portion of labour to do that. So people in the area would have been very aware of the build that was occurring here, okay? And they yeah. would have had an appreciation for why they were would have doing this. Okay, so the soil is possibly a representation of where somebody is from. Okay, 
Really? So bringing a bit of soil the, is, uh, is, is sort of saying, I'm leaving part of me here, or here, part yeah. of my... For sure, yeah. Recently, we had a tour there last season, and we had a Native American lady who, who visited here, and she, she put it in context very very nicely for me. She, she kind of she challenged me, and she said, like, no, you're worrying about the how, uh, about the how, but the why is probably more important. And she described it to me as that um, community plus hard work plus ceremony equals greater community. Yes, okay. So, so endeavour together. Endeavour together, you know, and the connection with each other and doing something in harmony, you know, that has great value. And obviously coming off the back of COVID and we were isolated and, how, you yeah, know, there's yeah. huge difficulties with that, you know. Um, but, there, you know, like this is a ritual centre. There's a place of great, you know, it is, it's a place of great importance. And still today, people use it for, for you know, all sorts of reasons. Um, well, like, for sort of se- religious ceremonies. So yeah, people come and get married here. People come and get married here. Yeah. You know, people come and watch the sunrise, solstice. Yeah, you know, okay. the Celtic festivals are very, very important. You know. My name's Lee. I'm the cathedral steward here. So during the weekdays, St. Patrick was in, he built his first church here in the city in around about 443. And he always wanted the hilltop site, but the local chieftain called Dara uh, would not grant him permission. But in 445, we think after Dara had been cured by St. Patrick, as the legend goes, uh, Dara granted him the hilltop site which is this site here that you that we are now on and this is where he built what was called his great stone church uh, the Damlag Moor what it was called Damlag Moor yes Uh, does Moor mean great yes which without any historical evidence suggests that there was stone used in its construction does anything of the original building survive at all? We don't think so because this current cathedral that we're standing in dates from the 13th century and it was built in the shape of a cross it faces towards the east and it's built with a very unusual feature in that the building is crooked it is not straight it is said to be because the archbishop wanted the building built to portray how our Lord Jesus died on the cross, allegedly with his head having fallen to one side. And we can see that by standing at the very west end of the cathedral, look down the centre aisle, looking east, and you'll see where the... Oh, we better do that. Yes, we'll go over here to... We're standing now at the west end, at the west door, and we're looking straight down the centre line of the cathedral, and we're letting our eye form a straight line. And when you get to the step and the floor changes from sandstone to polished marble, you can see that it's off at a different angle. Yeah, it's not a huge angle, but it definitely it's a is very, there. It's yeah. very slight, but by the time you get to the very top of the cathedral, you're looking at a good two to three feet where uh, it is off to off the right hand. Yeah, so yes. what, what's, um, that was deliberate? It was done deliberately. Yes. How unusual. I mean, why? Just, it's a very unusual feature. There's not too many churches have a feature like that. And that was the medieval builders. This was 1260s, 1260s, approximately. Gotcha. Okay. 
So there's a sort of medieval building in here, just sort of... It is, yes. ...sleeping quietly underneath the... It is. Well, sleeping's the wrong word. It's still here, vi- uh, alive, but it's been given very a much so. of life. Very much so. And it has seen a lot over its time. In fact, the two churches that have been here have been burnt down a total of 17 times. Really? De- deliberately or just is the fact that... So, mostly there, are, there is lightning strikes. Mm-hmm. We are sitting on top of a hill here, which lightning always goes to the nearest thing it can hit. In our terms, this was the cathedral. So many times uh, it, well, there was a lightning strike and it went on fire. Then we had, it was burnt down by the Vikings, the Normans, the English and the Irish. So whether we say it is the same building which has been repaired 17 times or whether we say it is a brand new building, that is to the interpretation yeah. of the listener. Let's go back to St Patrick. Mm-hmm. What would the building have looked like? Do we know? Uh, I think it would have been very plain. It was, my guess is that it would be rectangular, uh, probably using a lot of wood uh, in its construction, but ultimately we don't know what the building looked like because there are very few records from that time. When we, tell, when we think about Patrick, Patrick was a, Briton, was a British citizen. He came from the main, mainland Britain, either England, Scotland or Wales. We don't know because in his writings, in his confession, in his letter to Caroticus, who was a Roman centurion who had enslaved Irish people, and Patrick wrote to him demanding that these people be sent back to Ireland. How dare he do that? And Patrick doesn't tell us where he's from. He tells us the village he's from, tells us who his family is, but doesn't actually say where that village is. And it has been extremely difficult, if not impossible, to accurately say this is identi- uh, exactly where it is. And that's why there are claims among different areas that they say that Patrick was from this area or that area. And there are, there are multiple claims. That's really interesting because there's probably a lot of you know a lot of prestige to be able to claim Patrick's from your from your from your area. And, Absolutely. Uh, and we've got to remember that Patrick's first experience of Ireland was slavery. He was taken as a 16-year-old boy. He was brought across to what is commonly thought of as County Antrim. He was put on top of a mountain, and he was a shepherd boy. So for six years, he, he lived in slavery. So it was not a good experience. But when he was going through the ministry, he felt this calling that he needed to go back. And that was a very brave decision to make because there had been efforts to bring Christianity to Ireland, but it had not been that successful. But however, or whatever Patrick said, and how he said it, resonated with the Irish people. Maybe that six years, he learned all about the Irish people. He learned how they did things, how they operated, the way they said things, and what he did resonated with the people and Christianity spread very, very fast. 
The importance of why he chose Armagh is because this was one of the political capitals of Ireland. This is where the High Kings of Ulster sat. So this was very much a Westminster of its day. If you wanted to, this is where the movers and shakers were. This is where the important people were. So if he wanted to go into the, into the, the various wilds of Ireland, it was best that he had the permission of the kings, the rulers of that day. And, that, and when he converted them to Christianity or got their permission, that made the job of evangelizing and traveling through the countryside a lot easier. I see, so get, get the top brass on board and then you can... We think them. that's how he done it. Yeah, I see. So this is on St. Patrick's Way, so this is a great place to come and sort of find kind of es the essence of the Patrick's Yes, story. this is where Patrick ult ultimately made this cathedral to be the primatial cathedral for, the, for Ireland. Primatial meaning this was, Patrick said that the church in Armagh should have preeminence or supremacy over all churches and monasteries in Ireland. So Armagh is to Ireland what Canterbury is to England. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. So Armagh is the Canterbury of Ireland. Amazing. What I had, that was a great adventure and part of a much bigger adventure of several podcasts which we're going to publish over the course of this year where I was lucky enough to follow lots of parts of, of the St. Patrick Way across uh, County Armagh and County Down. I met some just brilliant people who me full of stories and entertain me and just took me to wild and wonderful places and i can't thank them enough but particularly for this episode i'd like to thank damien lee and also donna who didn't appear in the recording but helped me so much with lots of the detail of took me around armar and showed me wonderful sights so thank you all and i hope you enjoyed the recording talking about enjoying recordings and being with wonderful people i'm in the studio with podcast regulars and helpers and just all-round geniuses, Hannah and Jack. Hello, Jack. Hello. Hello. Hello, hello. I'm, I want to ask you about, did you enjoy the my meeting with Iron Age people? It was so nice. Like, everywhere you recorded in that episode had such a sense of atmosphere. Like, the atmosphere was different in each, each place, but it was it weirdly came across 
in the audio. Like you've got a true sense of the spaces that you're in. It was really beautiful. I loved it. Oh, fantastic. I, I, that's great. I mean, I, that, that was hard to sort of piece it all together because there was so interesting, so many different stories. But those two really, uh, they gave me a run for my money. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so thank you to those, the Aoife and Fergal. If you ever go to Navan Fort, Awen Waka, go and, go and see them. They, and, takes, um, yes, yeah, take salt. Take salt, <laughs> yes, well remembered. <laughs> take salt. Uh, and remember how many cattle you have because mm. that's, that's really important. Yes. Oh, another thing was that um, Fergal was talking about his wealth being shown through the number of colours that he was wearing in his clothes. And I was wondering who looks the most wealthy today. I could have answered that without us yeah, being here. I think anybody who's listened to the podcast will know that uh, Jack and I are the poorest. <laughs> I, just, I think maybe I'm working trying to work out which of you is the poorest. I have two pennies to my name, apparently, <laughs> yeah. I think. I've got great... So what have we got? We've got... Like a sky blue and white... Pajama top. <laughs> That's my shirt, uh, which I really like. And um, jeans? Uh, uh, yeah, yeah, grey jeans. Grey, interesting. Yeah, so That's three brown, colours. Brown shoes. Brown shoes, yeah. Four colours. Four colours. So I'm, I'm, you know, four pounds to my name. Um, blue. What kind of blue is it, Jack? Dark blue. <laughs> <laughs> Very good. That's the official term, isn't it? And um, and and so I, you're wealthy in other ways. Too. Yes. <laughs> uh, Hannah, how many colours have you got uh, on? Just so we presently, can... one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. If you include my shoes, but they were also pink, which okay. is included on my trouser. So I think we have to accept that. Well, we yeah, but you've got loads of cattle, so. Yeah. True. True. Loads. I mean, Jack. I know you've got a field full of many, many. Yeah. Brilliant. Moving on. Well, we've got our sightings and happenings section. What we've been doing. Many happenings. Many happenings. Talking about outfits. Great segue here. We had to dress up last week to go to some awards for the podcast. For the podcast. It's a very glamorous night. We didn't win. History Extra podcast. Our friends there won. And a big shout out to them. Brilliant podcast. But um, we had a lot of... And then the, the thing, though, that got me most about our trip to London was... Hannah, how good you were at spotting peregrines. Just incredible. <laughs> Thank you very much. Well, no, I, this, is, this is not just sort of um, aimless flattery. The, because the last time we went out walking in the city together, you spotted peregrines in Bristol. I did. And you doubled it up by, where were we? We were in Knightsbridge or somewhere. And you just yeah. like, there's a peregrine. And there was a <laughs> Amazing, amazing. So hats off to, if, if anybody out there needs a peregrine spotter, we're hiring Hannah. very, out. very helpful. Yeah, very good. Yes. Falcon eyes. Uh, Jack, how about you? You've been uh, out and about? Have I been away? I've been. Yeah. What you've been doing? Potted to Birmingham for a bit. Yeah. Not very wild. Not very maybe, wild. Maybe it was. No. <laughs> <laughs> well, I say that I popped to the Botanical Gardens. Oh, oh nice. Lovely Botanical oh, Gardens, yeah. which was lovely. That's definitely within our remit. Oh, yeah. And it was, it was I had a lovely time there. Mm. A, a lot of blossom was out. Amazing. Um, I thoroughly recommend it. So that's Birmingham Botanical Gardens. Yes. Okay. Is, yeah, I yeah. did not know they had Botanical Gardens. big. Let's podcast there sometime. Yeah, they have a little, little aviary there as well. Sweet. There's some little lovebirds there. They just sort of cuddle Aww. up together on a, on a branch. How sweet. Just like the three of us. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then I uh, managed to pop down to Paynton by Torquay. Down in Devon. Oh, what were you doing down there? It was a beach holiday. Oh, uh, I did pop to the beach. We, I went with some friends. Did, did a, they did a bit of paddleboarding. And then uh, 
Yeah, just a nice time. Jack's just chilling out. <laughs> it's not very Great, interesting. It's lovely. Just... Jack's holidays. Are, yeah, well, well, I'm glad. glad I went to back, the model cause... village, and I'm, I'll tell you what. <gasps> yes. Highly recommend. Oh gosh, yes. You like a model village? Do you? Yes. Oh, this, okay. this is you. You imagine a model village now, and times it by twenty. It's way better than you could ever imagine. Oh, really? It's really? like okay. a model town. It's huge. You get to play crazy golf halfway around. What? It's that big. How big are the golf clubs? Crazy size. <laughs> <laughs> Very much recommend. Okay, well, there we go. Shout out Sounds from great. the model villages of Britain. There are many. and um, That's definitely yeah. a subject we should cover more of. Yeah, well, model villages. Yeah. yeah, yeah. You could have little podcasts, couldn't we? Little tiny podcasts. <laughs> <laughs> make our voices sound all tiny. Oh, like little tiny, tiny mice. I mean, it did feel, make me feel even taller than I, I already am, which I don't know if it was a good thing. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I, I found cuckoos, cuckoos this year, oh, well and done. I know you both yeah. have never heard We're of cuckoo cuckoo-less. in a while. Yeah. I have. <gasps> when I was with you. Of course, down in... Um, yeah, yeah, oh, yeah. that's right. I'm Favoritism. Yeah, well, he's really sweet to me. <laughs> <laughs> um, yes, two cuckoos on Sugarloaf. Mm. I had a great Ooh. walk yesterday, and magnificent, beautiful woodlands. Everything's alive. It's just perfect time of year to be out, make the most of it. Tomorrow night, though, guess where I'm going to be? I'm at Nep Rewilding Place. Yes. Rewilding. That's going to be farm. so beautiful. Yeah. Such a good time. I'm going to be camping. So I've got some high long, performance, l- high performance long johns. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> and a hood, uh, like proper merino wool thing that apparently keeps you warm in Arctic conditions because it's going to be chilly tomorrow night. But it looks perfect for nightingales. And I'm going to, if I hear them, I'm going to send you a live recording. Definitely do. Because, and it'll hear me sobbing in the background. <laughs> anyway, that's what I'm looking forward to. That's Can't all wait. the recordings you send me. Please do send us your sightings and, and sounds as you enjoy this lovely spring. Record a little bird song in your garden or in the woodland and send it to us. We just, we adore it. And for our favourite email or sound of the week, we will send out a lovely book or other item from the podcast library, which leads me, Jack, to our current letter, this lovely letter that we've received, an email. This is from Lee Older. He's written in to say, My name is Lee Older, and I'm a totally blind man living in Cardiff. I love nothing better than going out for a walk in nature with my guide dog, Reggie. Hello, Reggie. Hello, Reggie. Hello, Reggie. Uh, We are very lucky living in Cardiff as we have a lot of parkland and green spaces near to our home or that are an easy drive for my wife and I. I was recently sent a link to your wonderful podcast and have just started listening to it. I particularly enjoyed the ramble along the river Usk. The sounds of the river and of the birds calling and singing along with the descriptions you gave really made me feel part of it. And handily, he's given us the name and number of the episode. Yes, episode 179. Brilliant. And uh, yeah, he says, thank you. And then he also tagged on that one of his hobbies is recording bird songs. Uh, and I've taken the liberty to send you a soundscape of some birds feeding on a tree stump in the woodland at the nature reserve in the Vale of Glamorgan, just outside Penarth. I hope you enjoy it. Thank you again for your wonderful podcast. And I can't wait to hear more of them. Well, thank you very much, That's Lee, so for your letter. Thank you, Lee. Bless you, Lee. Um, should, we, should we listen to it? Yes. Let's do it.
Lovely. Lee, that was lovely. And just such a really high quality recording. And you are hired, may I say, and you're very welcome to send us in any more sound escapes and hopefully we can use them because we, every Friday, introduced by Hannah here, we have lovely sound escapes that take you, transport you, a little postcard from the countryside. And Lee, that's exactly right. I was going to say, it'd be lo- lovely to hear from Lee about, I find that really interesting, his experience. Mm. He's totally blind, so he can't, I, again, I, I don't have any backstory that if he has been for life, he may not necessarily know what the birds look like. So he's very much just got a sort of picture all of that himself. And I find his experience of what nature is, is probably very unique and very different to anything we could. Maybe worthy of us going down to Cardiff and talking to Lee. That would be lovely. Let's do that. Lee, we'll be in touch. I have sent Lee some some recordings from our podcast library, a whole load of classical music inspired by nature. So I hope you enjoy that, Lee, and enjoy, uh, and as I say, listeners, send in your own recordings. You can send them to me. My email address is editor at countryfile.com. And I just can't wait to, I, I love receiving them. I love hearing your messages. Send us in your lovely experiences of this spring, 2023. Now I've got one last little treat that I recorded in, as, as my own sound of the week, which I hope Hannah and Jack won't mind. Editor's prerogative. Yeah, it's, it's time for me to also win a book from the podcast library. So I heard this lovely sound while I was in the centre of Bristol today, right in the shopping centre, so you'd be surprised. I'm going to let you into a little podcast secret that before warming up, what as part of her warm-up... An, an integral part of the warm-up. <laughs> Hannah sings that tune. So I was very pleased to find that today. That's lovely. What a treat. Well, what a treat to spend time with you both. And let's go out for some adventures in the spring. Definitely. And more adventures next week. And hopefully very soon I will be playing back my wonderful wild time that I have in NEP. But fingers crossed. For now, though... That's it from us. Join us again next week. Goodbye.